Good morning, everyone. How are you doing today? I am so glad that you are here today. My name is Jamie. I am the lead pastor here at Ebenezer. Wasn't it awesome to get to worship with our kids today? We are so blessed that we've got those who are willing, able to work with our students, our children, our next gen, uh, because it matters. It's vital. Um, I told someone just today, I believe that our area is ripe unto harvest, and God needs workers, and I don't know any better age group to work with. I spent over 20 years working in next-gen ministry, and it's special to my heart. But you know what's interesting is even today, at the very opposite end of our spectrum, Mr. Kenneth Sewell is here today, and it's his birthday, and he's 94 today. So could we let Mr. Kenneth know how much we appreciate him? As Caleb reminded you a little while ago, we are having a baptism Sunday in two Sundays. And if you say, hey, you know what? I was saved when I was seven and baptized, but I don't know. It was really later. And you never were baptized after you made that profession of faith. I want to challenge you to sign up. Like he said, we baptize every Sunday. In fact, we've got another one in a few weeks. We've got baptisms, a lot of baptisms coming up. But I want to challenge you to really think about that. Why is it important? Because it is what God has invited us to do as a step of obedience, to tell the world that we identify with Jesus. Also, though, I'm, I'm like a kid in a candy shop this morning because I have been waiting to be able to make this announcement that I'm about to make. Uh, in two weeks, following that baptism service, after our second service, we're going to have an informational meeting here in the worship center for a potential Mexico mission trip that will be coming up in October, October 7th through the 14th to Ensenada, Mexico to build houses. And I'm stoked about it. One, because we're going to get to go. I believe it's going to happen. That is fall break for Stevens County. So this is a family mission trip. I believe it's going to be couched where it can be affordable for you to be considered taking your kids on this mission trip. But also what excites me is we're doing this in partnership with Concord Baptist Church, my former church, and they are going to send a team as well. And so that is what it means to associate with other churches to do the work of ministry. And so mark your calendars two weeks from today here in the worship center right after the 1030 service. We're going to have that informational meeting. And I'm telling you, I'm pumped. Uh, I shared it with my kids, and they're pumped. And Laura and I just got our passports, hopefully hopefully they'll be here in, in the next year, but we just got our passports renewed um, and, and applied for, and so we're, we're ready. And I want to I challenge you to pray about that and to consider that as something that you might want to do. If you have your Bible or a device, I want to challenge you to turn to the book of 1 John. We have, we have, uh, I have so enjoyed this series called What is Love and this challenge that John has issued us And as we've gotten through the book, it's almost like the challenge is so simple in regard to the invitation you and I have to follow Jesus. Each week, uh, if you remember the beginning of the series, I challenged you to three things. One was, would you consider once a week reading through the book of 1 John? Now, don't beat yourself up if you didn't do it every week. But I hope if you read it once, if you read it twice, that God spoke to you. And in doing so, I challenge you also to consider, if you're not, to start journaling, to go buy a small notebook and start just writing down what you see in the Scripture, make an observation and, 
and asking God to speak through that. And I also challenged you to, to look at our key verses. Each week we've had a key verse. Last week it was 1 John 4, 9, which said, By this God has, has manifested his love in us, that he sent, that God has sent his only begotten son, his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And why is it important to memorize scripture? Because you can recall it a lot easier. Now, you may not be able to do it verbatim, and that's okay. This isn't a wanna. We're not going to quiz you and only give you two helps. We want you to put the word in your heart. As the psalmist said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against God. And so it's been a challenge. So let me remind you where we've been. In chapter 1, we talked about fellowship. And I, and I impressed on you this idea that all of us are on this spectrum, either in full fellowship or out of fellowship. Somewhere in that, that spectrum is you and me. And I, I challenged you to think about this, that love is wanting fellowship with God more than sin. He, was, he calls us, he's calling us not to live in this lifestyle of darkness, but to live in light. And then in chapter 2, we looked at six ways that God perfects us. And love is seeking perfection more than the world. There is this, there's, there is this pure and, and uncontested call in the book of 1 John to step out of the world's system. That is not our system. Our system is the kingdom of God. So the next week, in chapter 3, we talked about how love is seeking transformation more than being self-absorbed. We're being called to consider our actions. And if we love God, then that ought to leave, lead us to love one another. And then last week, it was simple. God is love, period. And that final point last week was love is knowing God through loving others. And so I, I made a statement, and I have a, a, a way to visualize that this week. It's in your study guide. But I said to you that discipleship could be summarized with two verbs. Obey and love. And if you noticed in this, on, your, on your study guide and on this image that, that's being displayed, it's, it's in rhythm. You know, when you think about something being in balance, that means that something over here is taking up more weight. Now, this is where both are existing at the same time. That we are called to obey God's commands, to obey His word. And by doing so, we love one another. And by loving one another, we fulfill his commands. And you see how that works. It's, it's cyclical. It, it exists in our life. And you and me today, as we stand here, and we want God to do mighty things in our life. We want God to do mighty things in our church. These are the two pillars upon which our discipleship hinges. These are the two invitations. Remember, he said, you either are walking in light or darkness. You're either walking in love or in hate. And he's invited us to walk in a different path. And so today, as we, in a sense, put a bow on the box, put the trimmings on the gift that we're talking about, I want you to think about this word. And it's the word victory. It's similar to the word overcome, like we just sang a few minutes ago. But when I think about the word victory, I, I quickly in my mind think about sporting events, right? You think about sporting events when you think about victory. Two opposing sides, winners and losers, both are trying to perform a task better than the other to come out the victor. When I think about, when I think about that, I, I remember the 2007 NFL football season. 
when going into the Super Bowl, the New York Giants were favored as an underdog by 12 points. They were not supposed to defeat the undefeated New England Patriots. But in the end, they pulled out a victory. They won. They overcame. Then I thought about, well, what other kind of images do we think? How many of you love history? In American history, to be specific, when in 1863, July 1st, the Confederate Army led by General Lee advanced on the Union Army at what is now known as Gettysburg, the Battle of Gettysburg. And for two to three days, this onslaught of the South on the North, but the Union forces prevailed. They overcame and drove them back. And that was a turning point in the Civil War. But to me, when I think about the word overcome, I think about life and death. And I also think in movies. If any of you have spent any time with me, you know I could quote movies like no one's business. And I honestly think in movies, because I, I, think, I think a better way of saying it is I think in story. And there are three men that epitomize this idea of overcoming. Jim Lovell, Jack Swaggart, and Fred Hayes. The crew of the Apollo 13 mission to the moon in 1970. Now, this was before I was born. So I would love to say this is one of the greatest examples of my generation, but it's not. This is a generation that is beginning to slip away. But for those of you in this room, people were, were glued to their, to, their, to their TVs watching because all of a sudden, this mission turned from going to the moon to getting three men back home alive. Two days into the, to the mission, they went to do a routine stirring of the oxygen tanks, and by doing so, a, a bare wire caused an explosion that, that, that damaged the lunar module. And so these men and mission control set out on this new mission to overcome their situation. In fact, these men lived for days in a refrigerator. And each of them only had six ounces of water a day to survive upon. It is a miracle that they came home. In fact, one of the curators of the Smithsonian Institute put it like this. It's one of these sto those stories where they were able to overcome all sorts of odds. And it's an extraordinary adventure story. It's hard to believe that they were able to come back from the moon and continually solve all the problems that arose. It was a problem after a problem after a problem. But they overcame. And they survived. And ladies and gentlemen, you and I are in the fight of our life. This world, as we've already read, is not our friend. It does not want us. It despises us. Why? Because the ruler of this world is Satan, and Satan despises you. Satan wants to steal, to kill, and destroy. And we as followers of Jesus are sojourning in this world because this world is not our home. Our home is being prepared, and it's out of this world. The kingdom that we serve, the king that we serve is out of this world. But may I remind you one more time, he's coming back. And we are already citizens of that kingdom, and, and that is what drives our worldview. It's, it's the way that we can look at the world with sympathy 
rather than anger when it comes against us because as Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. If you want to follow with me in our study guide today, I want you to see that last line. Love is overcoming the world to live victorious. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live a defeated Christian life. I'm tired of walking in the same old way. I want something that that emboldens me and breathes life into me so that I can be an encouragement and an inspiration through the gospel to this world. I mean, let's just be honest. Nobody wants to come become a Christian when all the Christians are walking around with their heads dropped and defeated. What the world needs to see is a victorious church living in the gospel set free from sin, not trying to live in it. He's called us out of the world. And so I want you to follow with me as I read a portion of the fifth chapter of 1 John. So if you would stand with me. Somebody asked me the other day, why do you stand? Well, one reason we stand is because we stand victorious. And upon this is what we stand, is this word that we treasure. So he says in verse number one, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God, that is perfect tense, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Whoever who, who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and by blood, Jesus Christ, not with water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Now check this out. Because if we receive the testimony of men, which matters not, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. The one who believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made God, him, a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. Let me read one more verse. And this, testi- this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Let's pray together. Father, as I pray each week, Lord, let Your Word read us so much more than we read it. That each time we engage it, that it's not the stories or the outlines or crafty words, but Lord, that Your Word would speak deep to our hearts, confirmed by the Holy Spirit of God in such a way that we are transformed to be like your son in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. So, here's where this text is leading us. Point number one. We overcome. You want to live a victorious life? We overcome by our faith. Listen, you all came in today. I don't know what's weighing on your heart. I don't know what you've been through this week. But I know this, in the spectrum of people here, there are some of you that stubbed your toe all the way to, some of you have heard that you've got to have a life-saving surgery. I know that to be true. I know that some of you have come in here and you don't know how you're going to pay your next bill. 
I know some of you have come in here and you have broken relationships in your life. I know some of you have come in here and you've been praying for your kids for 40 years to be saved. But let me ask you a question. What is the essence of faith? What is the essence of what we believe? See, if we overcome by our faith, faith is what we cannot see, what we cannot touch. It is the thing that drives us to hope and expect for something better and something different. And that is the invitation that we are receiving today. That whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now remember, let me, let me remind you that in this setting, there was a group of people called the Docetists who were teaching that the spirit, the good, and flesh, the bad, could not come together. They believed that at Jesus' baptism, water, we're going to come back to that in a few minutes, water, that at that moment that the spirit of Christ rested on him, but the two did not come together. They couldn't because the spirit that was good could never inhabit that which was bad. So when he says... Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, he's drawing a line in the sand and saying, this is the essence of what we believe. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. It's an invitation to become like the one who paid the price to give you life. For this is the love of God that we keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Remember the image that I showed you earlier. Obey his word and love one another. If we get those two things right, I believe that God will embolden our spiritual life. I believe God gives us the power that we need for living when we make these two things vital and important. So he says, for whatever is perfectly born of God overcomes the world. That should elicit another verse in your mind when we go back to John 16, where Jesus said, I have perfectly overcome the world. He is the king, and he's the king of our world, even though Satan is rampant, and he's running around doing nothing less than trying to destroy everything good and perfect that God represents and stands for. Ladies and gentlemen, God, remember, raised Jesus up and the Spirit up to be our mediators. We've got somebody who understands, who cares, and wants to help you and me get through this life. And that is the victory that we stand on today. In fact, let me, let me paint a picture for you. Because to me, if you're going to stand in victory, just like at the Olympics, you know, when they're, when they're putting on the medals, they have platforms, and they're level platforms. One is for gold, one's for silver, and one's for bronze. They're elevated. So I'm one of these guys, I don't know if any of you men have ever tried this or you dads, but I, I one time tried to run up a slide with my socks on. I was probably in my 20s or so, but, you know, just to have fun. Or, or how many of you, I mean, I, I don't like ice and I don't like snow, not to burst anybody's bubble, but I hope it doesn't come. That's just me. But, but I love, one year, we've, we've got this really long road, and it's steep where we live currently. And I got on a, on a, on a sled, and I'm telling you, I was booking it because it was nothing but ice. And then trying to get back up that hill, it was slick. And I had on boots. I had on good tread, and I was trying to get up the, that hill. So I want you to imagine two platforms 
a low platform and a high platform. And I want you to imagine this high platform is victory. And I want you to see that slope as the gray areas of our life where we dabble in the things of darkness. Because you and I do things all the time that we say, well, you know, nobody's ever going to see that. I know it's wrong, but I mean, a little bit won't hurt me, right? Isn't that the way Satan tempts? Think about the way he tempted Eve in the garden. Did God really say that? And so I want you to imagine you or me with my socks on trying to run up a slide to get to the platform up top to stand in victory. The reason they call a slippery slope a slippery slope is because it's slippery. And you will expend all of your energy trying to get to that platform when you're trying to live on the slope. I want to live on the top. I want to stand in victory because I don't want something to trip me up. Kind of reminded me in 1993 when we had that ice storm, I thought I was going to drive to work <laughs> in my little Ford Ranger. And our, our house set up on kind of a high place and our road went down to the main road. It's probably about 100 to 150 yards. And I thought, I got this. My truck's new. I got good tires. I can drive a stick shift. No problem as soon as I hit that ice. My truck kicked sideways and it just gently slid. My back wheels were spinning, but it wasn't getting any traction because why? It was slippery. And I went all the way down and just nestled down in a ditch, to which my pop later would come and use his Ford tractor to get me out of. My point to you is today is this. Why do you want to live in the middle ground, kind of flirting with the light, flirting with the dark, when God has called you by your faith to live in victory? It's time to get off the slope. It's time to make a stand. Because I'm telling you, this culture is consuming people by the thousands every day. And the way they're doing it is they are asking you to just take little bitty steps away from morality. And they have desensitized everyone's mind to those things that are immoral. And I'm talking big things, and I'm talking little things. Ladies and gentlemen, it's as much a sin. Hear me say this. It's as much a sin to be in sexual immorality as it is to gossip. They're both sins. Some you can hide, but I'm telling you, if you choose to sin, you will suffer. And that slope will pull you from the, from the peak where you should be standing back down into the valley. Where do you want to live? Or do you want to try putting on your socks and running up the slope? Because I'm going to tell you, that day I did that, it didn't end up well. I fell. Actually, I think I face planted. Don't do that. What's been born of God, what's been born of God seeks to obey and to love. And you know what this is founded on? We overcome, point number two, by His testimony. We talk a lot about our, our testimonies. Like I could share with you my story, and I have, about when I came to, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I shared that with you. And you have a testimony. But it's His testimony that helps us to overcome. Look, look back in the, in the uh, Scripture again at verse number 5. It says, Who is the one who overcomes the world? But the one that has believed that Jesus is the Son of God. Recall 4.15 where it said, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. John wrote in 20 verse 31 uh, in his gospel, but these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Or as Peter confessed in Matthew 16, 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He along with the disciples would say in John 6, 69, we have believed and come to know that you are are the Holy One of God. Or like Nathaniel said in John 1, 49, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. 
If he's our king, then who is ruling my life? Is Christ ruling my life or am I ruling my wife? So, so how does he justify what he calls this testimony of God? Well, according to De- Deuteronomy 17.6, it says that by two or three witnesses, a fact would be established. In other words, if you go into a courtroom today and just one person gives testimony, that doesn't have as much weight as if two or three give testimony. In fact, in 1 Timothy 5.19, Paul would say, do not receive an accusation against an elder on the, um, except on the basis of two or three witnesses. And so what are the three witnesses that he gives here? He gives three. He gives the spirit and the water and the blood, verse number eight. Well, why is that important? Well, remember what I said. The Docetists were teaching that Jesus was not the Christ. He just appeared. Jesus appeared to be the Christ. So he needs three witnesses to dispel that. The water, which represents his baptism when Jesus' ministry began. Remember, he said, I must do this to fulfill righteousness. That's what he told John the Baptist. But what would the blood represent? He died. He shed his blood. And it was that blood that atones for our sin. But what's the third one? The third one being the Holy Spirit of God. And John is the one who talks about that upper room discourse where Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit. And it's upon this that our faith is established, the testimony of God, not the testimony of men. God has confirmed that Jesus is the Christ, the full Son of God, fully man, fully God, 100% and 100%. And to believe anything else, John said in here, would be to call in verse number 10, God a liar. And if God is a liar, then nothing else that he said matters. Folks, there's people all around us that believe all kind of forms of Christianity but have no truth. When I went to, uh, when I've been out overseas in some of the areas in the, Carib- in the Caribbean, we called some of what they practiced judo. It was like voodoo plus Jesus. They just took their satanic practices and put Jesus' name on it. And that's what a lot of these first century, now as the church is developing and growing, began to do. They had to explain, all right, how can Jesus be Fully God and fully man, because the scripture says so. And here God is giving testimony to that very fact. And so my question to you this morning would be, have you placed everything in your life under the submission of the light of God? In other words, like I said, he said to walk in light, not in darkness. Are you willing to step before God and say, God, look at me analyze me. God, I I struggle here. I think God wants to hear you say, I struggle here, rather than saying, well, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to get all this out of my life. No, let God take it out of your life. And you may slip up again, but remember, let's recall, we've studied a whole book here. 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, what does it say? He is faithful and righteous or just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from unrighteousness. We have an advocate. We have a mediator. Guys, that is what we stand in victory, but I have to choose to stand in that victory. I can live a weak Christian life, or I can live one empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is up to you and to me. Why? Because point number three, we overcome because we have eternal life. Look with me at verse number 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. 
And this is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, why is that important? Remember, the two pillars. If I am living in such a way that is seeking to do what God asked me to do, and I'm living in a way that seeks to love others, what's that going to do to my prayer life? How does that change the perspective of the way I pray? In fact, in just a minute, I'm going to challenge you during our invitation. Up here on the, on the nosing of our, of our stage here is a card. Last week I asked you to think of three people to pray for, to come to Journey, to come to Easter. I'm going to challenge you today. If you didn't write them down, there's cards up here. Come get a card. Write their names down. Lay them on the altar and pray over them. Our deacons this morning were up here praying over this altar, and some of us laid hands on these cards blank and said, God, fill this card with names that we can be focused on the mission you have before us. Why? Because, remember, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it what? More abundantly, to the fullest. If you want to experience that abundant life, it's not when you start saying, God, I, I need a new house. I need a better car. You know where it's coming? When I say, Lord, I want to obey your commands and I want to love my brother the way you've loved me. When I step into those pillars, God will transform my life. He will perfect my life and I will walk in fellowship with him. Why? Because God is love. The early church struggled with the the person of Jesus. In fact, as, as time passed, the Docetists and the Gnostics and all these different people would come along to the point where a guy by the name of Athanasius would eventually record what's, what's known as called the Athanasian Creed. But I want you to hear what it says. He says this about Jesus. He is God from the essence of the Father, begotten before time, and he is human from the essence of his mother, born in time, completely God, completely human, with a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father as regards to divinity, less than the Father in regards to his humanity. Although he is God and not and although he is God and human, yet Christ is not two but one. He is one. However, not by his divinity being turned into flesh, but by God's taking humanity to himself. He is one, certainly not the blending of his essence, but the unity of his person. That's a lot of words, isn't it? But that exactly describes what we know about this God who is love, who loved you unconditionally. And he's inviting you and me to step up on the gold medal box in victory. When you watch college football games and someone comes in as the underdog into those games and that student section is going wild and they end up winning that game. I remember an Auburn game not too long ago where they rushed that field and they tore that goalpost down in celebration. Now I'm not asking you to come up here and tear anything down. What I am telling you though is where is that energy? Where is that passion? Where is that hope? Where is that love that, that when we stand in victory and then we see someone step out of darkness into light, we should be one of the first to celebrate that. The Bible is clear that Jesus left the 99 to rescue the one sheep, and when he brought the sheep back, he said, celebrate with me. And, I, and Jesus said, I tell you, there's more celebration in heaven when one sinner repents. What about you and me? We want to stand in victory? Let's stand on that pillar. Going back to Apollo 13, there was a phrase that, was clo- uh, that kind of became popular with the movie that supposedly was attributed to Gene Kranz, the director of flight operations and mission control. Failure is not an option. 
And he came up with what was called the Crans Dictum well before Apollo 13. It came up with Apollo 1. Because in Apollo 1, there were three men who died when they were doing a test burn of the rocket. In fact, that's why they call it Apollo. Those Apollo missions were named after those three men because they lost their lives. And Gene Kranz came to, to, to his people and he said this. He said, from this day forward, after this accident, flight control will be known by two words, tough and competent. Tough means that we are forever accountable for what we do or what we fail to do. We will never again compromise our responsibilities. Every time we walk into mission control, we will know what we stand for. Do you? Do you know what you stand for? He says, competent means that we will never take anything for granted. So he's talking about two words, tough and competent. We will never be found short in our knowledge and in our skill. Now listen to this. Mission control will be perfect. Have you heard that word lately? Because we're being perfected in Christ. When you leave this meeting today and you go to your office, the first thing you will do is write tough and competent on your blackboards. It will never be erased. Each day when you enter the room, these words will remind you of the price paid by Grissom, White, and Chaffee. These words are the price of admission into the ranks of mission control. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you are in mission control. And we have two words as well, obey and love. And my question to you today would be this, where are you going to write these words to keep them in front of you? Because just like mission control, we do need to be tough, persistent, and competent. If we're going to fight this world, if we're going to stay in this world and stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're going to have to be tough and competent, and we're going to have to live Obeying his word and loving one another. Love is overcoming the world to live victorious. In fact, Paul affirms this in Romans 8, 37 through 39. He says this, but in all things we overwhelmingly conquer or overcome through him who loved us. So let me ask you a question today, church. If you're joining us online, I mean this in all seriousness. If you're struggling with sin and you're a Christian, God's calling you today to repent. Turn away from it because it's robbing your life. If you don't know Jesus Christ and you're stuck and lost in your sin, I'm challenging you today. Crosby, Fred, and I will be down here in the front. We want to talk to you. We don't want you to leave this place until you get your relationship right with the Lord. And I'm going to challenge you again. And this probably was the most convicting thing about this book. Are you right with your brother and sister? Are you willing to do what's necessary to go and apologize or go and confront? Why? We need to be unified, not just as this church, but churches around us, because there's a world that's dying and going to hell, and, and Satan is laughing. Because we stay so much in tension with one another and other churches. Guys, I'm all about Jesus Christ. He's my king, and he's my Lord, and I want him to be yours too. That whatever he would call me to do, I'd be willing to do it. Is that true for you? So in just a minute, as we stand and sing, I want to remind you, these cards are down here in the front. Maybe you need to come, and you just need to pour your heart out before the Lord and ask His forgiveness. I want this to be a place of grace, where somebody can come broken and hurting and not have condemnation. Church, Jesus said there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, and there shouldn't be any with us either.
So Father, as we stand before you, bearing our hearts and our souls, God, would you speak to us today? Lord, would you show us, Lord, what we can do, what we should do in response to your word? Not my points, not my stories, not my outline, but God, what your word has called us to do. Do we believe in Jesus? Do we want to obey your commands? And are we willing to seek how to love one another? In Jesus' name, amen.